Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today for our sermon recap that we try to do each week. Uh, comes out on Wednesday, looking at the sermon from this past Sunday. We've been in a series on worship now for a little while and kind of getting to a little bit more of the practical side of worship as this week we talked about uh, public worship uh, as we gather as a, as a congregation, kind of asking, what do we do? What does the Bible have for us, for us to do? Uh, it took me a while, though, I guess, to work to that point. I talked about that a little more at the end of the sermon. So I did want to get our heads still focused and right on the correct things. But I did ask a question at the beginning of the service about what comes to your mind when you hear the word liturgy. Now, for you gentlemen sitting here with me today, uh, was that a common word for you guys growing up? Dave, maybe? Yeah, <clears throat> I remember hearing it. I don't think I probably understood what it meant <laughs> when I was a kid in the Catholic Church, but yeah, I do remember hearing that word. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was something they'd throw around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott? Nope. No? Spencer? No. No? No, me neither. Never. I thought of it as Catholic, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, uh, but when you look at that word, it does come from a Latin word just meaning service. And so it's not it's not a word we should be afraid of. It's just how do you... Uh, Order your service. How do you when you when you come and worship together? There has to be. Well, I guess some churches might not say it this way. I would say there has to be some sort of order uh, of of who's in charge or who's going to talk or when are we going to sing or whatever we're going to do. Who's going to kind of decide what's going to happen at that moment? And when you're working that out and thinking about that, that is your church's liturgy. And we get very used to and comfortable with our own church's liturgy to the point to where we know when we're supposed to stand. We know when we're supposed to sit. We know, okay, we're singing next. Like we we get comfortable and used to that so much so that sometimes when you go to a different church, uh, you can feel the uneasiness because you don't know, right? You don't know what is happening or what's going on. You're like, am I going to be here for another 30 minutes? Or is it another hour I've got? I don't know, because I'm not used to this this church's liturgy. Mm. But it does seem like something people push away from, yet it can't be avoided. I don't know. Do you guys see that at all in churches? Well, I just think that one thing that you said that was extremely helpful is that we have to recognize every church has a liturgy. It might not be spoken or clearly laid out, but everyone in that church has expectations about what's going to happen next, or what are the general components of this service and things like that. But, yeah, no, you're right. Like, if, when you go to a different church, it, it feels strange. It feels abnormal uh, because the liturgy will probably be a little different if you're in a, uh, a, uh, a denomination that isn't like a Catholic denomination, like you were saying, Dave, mm-hmm. or something like that, uh, an evangelical denomination. It'll be different at every church, especially among Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. Anything else on liturgy there? All right. I just wanted to get that out there because I was afraid I might say that word at some point in the message, and I wanted it to be defined <laughs> and known. <laughs> like, what is he? What's he talking about here? You know, where where are we going? But there is an importance to how we organize a a worship service. It's not something that should be done uh, willy nilly. Uh, something that's just kind of thrown together. I had mentioned in the in the sermon that I like to do uh, in small groups when I get the opportunity, when the topic arises, to encourage people to plan out their own order of service. Have you guys ever done that to a group? Scott, have you ever done that with the teens or anything? Mm, no. no. Have you ever done that at all, Spencer? No. no. I'd be afraid that they would say to not go. <laughs> Sometimes. What do you mean? Just I'm just not going to go? <laughs> yeah, what's your perfect service? There's not one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. They can answer that way. <laughs> it's just, I guess, honest, I guess. It's just fine. I just like doing that. I like seeing all the different ones. There's, I've, I've seen many. They don't put a sermon at all. This is the boring part. Mm. We're going to do the We're gonna do the fun part. Or people who are like, we're not going to do giving. No offering, because that's just corruption. You know, that's just whatever. Uh, people always put, like, their favorite songs. It's like, what songs would you sing? Oh, I love this song, so I'm going <laughs> to sing this song. You know, we're going to sing this song. Uh, and it's very self-centered most often when you have somebody do it. And... When you start talking to them about how they have done their service, there isn't much real thought put in of 
well, what does the Bible say we should do? And how we are organizing our service, what does it say? What is it, What is how we're organizing our service say about the one we've come to worship? Or what does it say about, about us uh, here in this place? And I think sometimes people think, well, you're just getting too nuanced when you're thinking that. Nobody's, nobody's coming in and going, wow, they read scripture first and then followed it up with a prayer and then they sang. Like... <clears throat> God is awesome. I don't think, yeah, okay, I get that. But when we start to not care about it, it's a slippery slope uh, because it is noticed, I think, and seen and then slowly understood by the congregation that there isn't much importance in this. We're just, we're just kind of doing things, and we don't really know why we're doing things. And the problem is, as time goes by, you start getting rid of things because you're like, I don't even really know why we're doing this or why this is that important. I would say the same with some traditional things. There's some things that we could do in our service that would just be, I'm not going to say scripture says it's bad, um, but it's just kind of a traditional thing to where all of a sudden we're holding on it so tight. When you ask the question, why do we do this? People are hurt that you're even asking the question. Like, yeah, but it's not really a biblical mandate. uh, And we can't hold on to this thing that tightly. Um, I think I'd heard a a story once someone was telling me it was like, this pastor was in this old farm church and every time they would take Lord's Supper, the pastor would go over and stand uh, in this one part of the sanctuary while the elements were being handed out. And then he would come back and hand the elements out to the deacons and go. So the, the new minister came in and thought, this is how it needs to be done, watched him and did it. Well, finally asked the old minister, one day, like, why did you do that? And he said, I just, my hands were cold and that's where the heater is. I always just went and stood and warm my hands up before I had to get things, you know? But the church probably thought, he's doing some holy thing over there. Like, that's how Lord's Supper uh, must be done. And I mentioned Lord's Supper because for me, that's where I see, I've seen this played out the most for me when it's weird in a different location. It's like growing up, this is how Lord's Supper was always done. And so in my mind as a kid, it's like, this is how you have to do it. Because it was obvious that it was a, a special time in the church. And so it was like, this is all planned out and being done a certain way. And then you'd go somewhere else and they do it a little different. And you're like, wait a second. You know, why are they doing it like that? And uh, so anyways, just thinking through the service becomes, uh, becomes important. What do you guys think about, about that? Uh, thinking through the service, how important it is, how it might speak about... The God that you worship, what it says about us. What are your guys' thoughts in that area? Yeah, I think it's, um, <clears throat> uh, peop- I think, we, of course, like we've talked about, everybody has a service order. And I think people generally have an idea of the components, even if they haven't arranged them in an order of what the service should contain. The The one thing I would say as well is that, um, the service, like you've talked about, Tim, it, it, it is a reflection of what a church believes. And whenever you go to a church service, you're going to get a really good taste of what a church believes by how the, what the service is, how it's arranged. And um, stealing a, uh, a quote and modifying it from Winston Churchill, um, I think we can say this, that uh, first we shape our services, but then our services shape us. And we don't realize that often the role in which um, the worship service is shaping our Christian lives, the way the rhythms of it, the, the, the words that are used, what is used, what's not used, how it's done. Um, all of those things are actually going to have uh, unseen effects, I think, upon people's Christian lives. And it's kind of naive, I think, to think that it's not. Um, so... We, we want to intentionally shape the worship services of the church with scripture reading, with preaching, with the song selection, with the prayers that are prayed, everything, and the attitude and the feel of it, because how you worship is going to impact how you live, and you can't get away from that, and I think that's, so I think that's why it's so important to have the discussion. It doesn't mean there's a one-size-fits-all service order, but it does mean that, um, that you are going to be shaped by what you do in there. I think that sometimes we have this idea that 
my real Christian life is what I do on my own. And then I'm just here uh, on Sunday mornings as, uh, you know, because if you're really sincere about the Christian life, you'll be really radical in all of the individual elements of the Christian life. And then the corporate stuff is kind of like an extra add-on. But actually the way the Bible works is it's the total opposite is what you do corporately has much bigger ramifications for yourself than what you do individually. And so I just think that mm-hmm. highlighting that principle overall is important for your, what you're talking about, Tim, um, which I think is wor- why it's worthy of discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're right. I think, I think you see a lackadaisical, sadly, in the evangelical world, right? We, we got away from using that word liturgy or having a service that we would say, quote unquote, is, is stiff. And so when we look at the Catholic church or some Lutheran churches um, or some high churches, some, some churches like that, who have services that um, maybe the priest there or the pastor there isn't planning it on their own necessarily. They have a liturgy that they follow. And we would say it feels, uh, it, it feels not spirit-led. Right, it, it feels mm-hmm. kind of stiff and kind of no emotion in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think that's an I think sometimes that's a fair critique. But I think at other times it's an unfair critique because when you look at maybe why the Catholic Church does what they what they do, uh, we see that uh, a lot of it is for a high respect of who God is. Sure. Right. Now we wouldn't agree with a lot of the theology yeah. there, but there is reasons that they do the things mm-hmm. that they do. And it's supposed to be pointing people to a God that's very different than them. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you can apply this also to secular realms. Um, for instance, the inauguration of a president. Why is it so solemn? Does that mean the country is just totally angry? I guess you could say that today because we're so divided as a country, but you know what I mean is, isn't this supposed to be a joyous occasion? Then why is it so everybody's everybody so uptight? Why are we taking oaths? Why are we having all these speeches? Why is, you know, um, why are we doing all of these things? Why is everybody wearing a suit and a tie? Like, I'm just saying the, the, what, the reason why the, the presidential inauguration has so much pomp and ceremony is because it's highlighting, it's saying something about what this event is. And similarly, it applies similarly to a religious sphere, is what, how you worship is saying something about what you think is going on here and who God is and your relationship to him. All of that is connected. We do this in the, in the secular realm in the civil realm. And um, we do this in all sorts of other places. And, and similarly, it happens, I think in, in the church as well. I remember, you know, cause growing up and going to the Catholic church with the liturgy and with the order. And then a couple of years after I got saved, I was invited to a vineyard church, which mm-hmm. is Pentecostal. And I'll never forget that. It was just interesting because they had about 45 minutes of, of worship and they, they kept doing like the same And by song. that, you mean, you mean singing. Singing, singing. Yes, yes, sorry. They kept, they kept singing the same song. And then the preacher got up and said, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to preach from today, but we'll see where the Holy Spirit leads. <laughs> and for 45 minutes, he just, I don't know, he just went on these different <laughs> rabbit trails. And I remember thinking, That's, this is odd, mm-hmm. you know, because there is an order, you know, creation. Mm-hmm. This is what happened on day one, day two. You know, God, yeah. there's an order, and I think there's a reason we do what we do. And I think sometimes the evangelicalism has gone, especially Pentecostalism, has gone the other extreme of like, we'll just kind of let the Spirit lead. Right. We'll just do this song, and let's see how long we can do it. And if we just feel it, let's just keep doing it. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, yeah. too, the, this is something probably I did not realize growing up. And I don't think many evangelicals, particularly those from Baptist or Pentecostal backgrounds, realize is our basic worship service is rooted in the old revivalistic tradition where they would initially have a singing service to get you pumped up for a preaching service. And what happened is, is this was this was used by revivalists in the 1800s. And so what's happened is we've we've in we've imported that whole I guess what I'm saying is there the the idea of a massive time of singing followed by a massive time of preaching was originally put together for a specific purpose which was um 
maybe sincere at times revivalism, but other times very manipulative revivalism. And look different than during that time what a church service yeah. would have looked like. Yeah, good point. And this was like the camp meeting. This was special. Yeah. yeah. But then what happened is is the regular worship service of the church became yeah. every week became a camp meeting. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it, I'm, I did not know this growing up, but I think it would be helpful for people to realize that that's kind of some of the historical roots of we have we we live yeah. in this result of what happened in the past, yeah. um, just as much as the Catholic Church has inherited a liturgy because of their past. Yeah. And I I was just going to say, part of the reason maybe why that what you're talking about that revivalistic camp meeting liturgy yeah supplanted what was regularly going on in the life of the churches during that time is because the focus shifted for who is this church for what is what is this meeting that we're doing for the revival meetings were for the unsaved they wanted the to see a result happen which was the salvation of those who are lost which is a good motivation you should want to see that but church was understood as that's not the primary purpose of this and so i think even today is if we think about who is church for like who are we organizing this service for Mm -hmm. what what is it supposed to produce and uh i think tim you've already even mentioned in this series that our like our service is for the church those who are saved part of our church it's not necessarily for the lost people in our community, we invite them to come in. We want them to see what we're doing. But this is not primarily for lost people. Yeah. And that affects the way you decide to set this up. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just like trying to connect your mm-hmm. thought to yeah. like, why do we do what we do today? Right. I think that's why a lot of churches do what they do mm-hmm. is because they're thinking of their service, not for the church who's there, yep. but for the the unsaved who are coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, again, it's good to be mindful of those people. It's good to address them even every now and again. I try to explain some things that you're doing. But I think that does have a big impact in why you see such a... Uh, a divergence from what was mm-hmm. historically done. Some that I was thinking about is if you think back to, so you said this in your sermon, Tim, you said something to the extent of, as long as we know the rules, we have the freedom to excel within those rules. And I mean, I just think of how many church battles and how many church splits and how many quote unquote worship wars would have not happened if there had been an agreed upon liturgy that the church followed and understood this is why we follow that. But there's just not been an understanding. I mean, I know I wasn't trained to think about liturgy in church growing up. I wasn't even in Bible college, never had one class talk about that. I did in seminary uh, have a class talk about that, but it wasn't even a thought or explained um, in any sense. But I just think of like, man, how... How much does it serve to protect the church mm-hmm. from from itself sometimes mm-hmm. uh, to have that? But you need to be able to explain that to people. And mm-hmm. that's part of what I think your sermon did on Sunday and was really helpful. Yeah, and this is why I feel this series, this worship series, has to be longer than just a couple of messages is because you really have to start at the beginning to get to understand why do we do what we do, right? Well, it's because of who we worship. It's because how we've been called to come to worship it's what he's doing when he gathers us together he gathers us together not the pastor right all these questions need to be answered they need to be in the forefront of our mind and so yeah where you guys went i'm glad you guys got where you were where you ended up because that's where i i wanted it to go um is when we look historically at at the liturgies throughout time and we can see where we are today Scott, I think you nailed it, is we see the slippery slope is when we stop taking worship seriously, all of a sudden we've turned worship into something that's for non-believers, which I think is as far as you can get away. Unless you're going to say, we're coming as Christians not to worship God this morning, but to worship something else. That would be, I guess, as far as far away as you could get. But we're getting pretty close where it's like, yeah, all of you members, this service isn't really for you. 
So I need all of you guys to park really far away. Let the parking, main parking be for our guests. And the message is going to be all towards our guests who are here. And we want to make this really nice for our guests. And so you guys, make sure you sit on the outsides. Make sure you sit in the back. Let's let our guests have the prime seats and just be very cautious of all this. And then what happens is as a pastor, if you're going that route, then your messages are going to become very cautious. Your message is going to be just the key on this. And it's then you, you've totally lost why you've come. You've come to worship God first and foremost, not the community, and to gather the saints together, the body of Christ, to worship that God and to hear from God, right, and to, to grow in him. And we've sadly got that very twisted to the point now to when you, when you try to bring this stuff up, I've found, when you try to bring some of this stuff up to people, they're very combative, because they're very protective of their liturgy. And I understand why. It's what they grew up with. It's what makes them feel good, right? Or whatever it might be. And that's, okay, but let's go back to the start. What is worship? How did we get where we are today? Is this right is what we need to ask. Is this good? And we have to be careful with that. And, and an example that I would give, this might seem harsh, but when you talk to somebody who's struggling with homosexuality, what is their what is their rebuttal to you? It just feels it it it's, it feels right. What am I supposed to do about it? It feels right. It just seems to be natural. And as Christians, we would argue and say, you can't base it off of how you're feeling. We have to base it off the Word of God. And God's Word says that that is a sinful lifestyle. It's a sinful way to live, right? Or if your kid came home and was like, me and my girlfriend, we're gonna move in together. No, you can't do that. It just feels right, mom and dad. No, the Bible says something different. Well, it's just so natural. No, we would fight that, right? But when it comes to our worship and our worship styles, as soon as you pit, go to somebody and you say, I don't know if they could, don't question me and how it feels. I can worship how I want. I worship in spirit. I worship freely. And that really needs to be pushed on on all of us, right? On me included and our church congregation. And I, I wish other congregations would do the the same thing, to ask the question, why do we do the things we do when we come here? What does the Bible say we should do, right? Then we can talk about, like, is there leeway in some of these areas, yeah. right? Is there is there freedom in these things? Yes, we can have those discussions. But before those sure. discussions even come, let's, let's narrow down what we're doing here. Because right now, Dave was talking about uh, some of this, but you guys, what we were just saying, there are some pastors, when we talk about worship service, we're talking about something very different right. because they're talking about it for the outside world. I'm not doing that. I'm talk I, It's a whole different sphere. Right. This is a little off subject, but I think another component of this too is we also have an idea. Whenever we say, for instance, the worship service is primarily for us to hear from God and especially directed at the church, the, the reality is though, that doesn't mean we're not preaching the gospel because the law and the gospel, God's convicting word and God's comforting word, I still have to hear as a believer. And that's the same gospel that I have to hear every week is the same gospel that the, my unconverted friend in the same pew next to me needs to hear. I, I think there is almost also this, this um, maybe we wouldn't say it or maybe we're not intending to, but there's almost this distinction between the message the unbeliever needs to hear right. and the message I need to hear. And then that kind of ties into what you mentioned about the confession of sins thing. I'm a believer. Why do I have to come here and, and talk about sin and confessing? I'm a believer. And what we would say, well, the same gospel that saved you is still the same gospel that forgives your sins every day mm -hmm. and will for the rest of your life. So I, I think that should also comfort people. People, I, I guess what I'm saying too is, is we never get beyond the grace of God as believers. Yeah. We, we still realize our daily recognition for it. And the same message that God speaks through you to me as a believer is the same message my children need, is the same message that my friend who comes in through the door that doesn't know the Lord needs. He still needs to hear about the cross, the resurrection yeah. for us. And it would be foolish for any pastor to organize their service, their singing, everything they're planning on, the message just for the believer. And the reason for that, let's say let's say that no guests even show up. Right. I can't assume number 1 that everybody in here is a believer, but number 2, I know for a fact everybody in here is not a believer cuz a lot of our families have children. Right? And 
I want them to hear the gospel. That's part of my job as the pastors. I want these kids to hear the gospel every week and trust that God will work in their life and, and justify them and save them by his grace. And so a good pastor is always going to preach messages, yes, geared towards the believer. But like you were saying, Spencer, there's this law gospel that always has to be a part mm-hmm. of every message, at least should be. Uh, some are going to be more grace-filled. Some might be a little more law-filled sure. depending on the passages or whatever. Uh, but it has to be there. Because you can't assume, I don't. You can't assume at all that everybody there is a Christian. Sure, because they're and, not. Right, and the law and the gospel are God's two words that are always true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm condemned in the first Adam, but God offers me the grace and salvation in the second Adam. That and we and I have to hear that every day. I have to hear that every week. And um, the idea that once I'm, a, and I think this is another danger too, right? Is whenever we start to assume that everybody in our church understands the gospel or we're not even talking about it anymore. We've just progressed to what we've described before, nothing more than simply 10 ways to, to live a better life now or 10 ways to do this. That's the gospel assumed and, and then the gospel's lost. Yeah. And I think something that comes into this as well are, there are some broader, the, like your broader theological foundations come into play. Whether whether you believe the worship, Sunday morning worship is for the believers or for the unbelievers, you're still trying to do something. Mm-hmm. And brought, your broader theological foundations will impact the way that you organize your service. Because you could still have the opinion, this service is for the church who's here. But then still asking yourself the questions like, okay, well, what are we trying to do right now? Mm-hmm. What are we trying to produce or to see in the lives of these believers? What's the goal of this? But then the question of, okay, how do we produce that? Mm. If your answer has anything to do with, okay, if we do it this way, then it'll have a greater effect in their life. If we do it this way, it'll have this effect in their life. And you're you're starting to kind of veer away from what we believe convictionally about it's the word of god that does the work and so it's a kind of devolves into a kind of pragmatism essentially and that's what you see in a lot of those churches why do they do it the way that they do it it's not just because they believe that the service is for unbelievers and not for believers but it's also because they're they've given way to pragmatism uh in thinking well, if we want to see that happen, here's how we have to do it. It works right now. It works, right? Right And, now. and it might not work <laughs> yeah. next week, yeah. but yeah. next week when there's a new fad, that will work. Right. And so that's what you, you get away from. And so, But it's why we have to convictionally put our, mm. put our hope in the Lord, that the Lord is the one who, who's going to open the eyes of those children that are not believers in our church service. Is it going to be this little program that we have over here to the side for the children? Probably not. It, it, well, it can be. It can be used by that. But whatever's used, it's because the Lord's done it. Right, right. Um, and so the, the minute you get away from thinking the Lord is the one using his word to work in their life sovereignly, and we have to trust that, that's when you can really start to get into danger of just g- going any which way because you'll just start chasing the rabbit of what works. Um, I just think that comes into play in this conversation, too. Yeah, I think there's a very practical one that we could point to right now that people probably have seen where the way the church is doing this speaks to something. When it comes to the sermon time of a worship service, what do they call that time? Right. Well, now we're preaching. No, a lot of them. Now we're going to talk. Now we're going to have a discussion. (laughs) Right, and you you see just, and you might think, well, I don't see why that that that's that important, or all of a sudden there's a removal of a pulpit, and instead is in the place is a chair and a table, and a TV screen, and you might not even see the pastor open the Bible. What he's doing is reading off the TV screen, which, again, okay, it's still the Word of God, and we're still reading it together. Uh, there's a very casual feel. To, in the environment that they're trying to create. And they want to make sure there's not, what, what I think the church is doing there is they're trying to make sure there's not a big divide between the stage and the pew, All right? The guy up here speaking is just like you, and you want to see this. And, and the guy up here speaking wants you to see some things from God's word in this casual talk that will help you, that will help you this week. I, I want you to understand that, you know, and I want you to see this, which 
as I'm saying this, I think you might think, well, that sounds good. The problem with that is it says, it says something, number one, about authority. Mm-hmm. It says, number one, there's no authority up here. We're just together, right? which is wrong. Biblically, when that pastor steps in that on that stage and opens the word of God, there's authority that's supposed to be happening here. I'm speaking. Uh, Jesus Christ is speaking to us right now, and we need to all hear it. Um, there's also a casualness that makes me start to feel very casual, even about myself and my own sin. It's like, look at that guy. He struggles with what I struggle with, and he's up there on stage, and He's doing pretty good. I think I'm doing pretty good. And there's just kind of this laziness then, I think, about what the Word of God is really saying, the reverence and the awe that should be there in a service they're trying to minimize and take away because they don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable and out of place. Again, it's just casual. It's like me and you are at a coffee shop. We're just having a conversation here. Mm-hmm. I want you to hear it, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully hopefully you can take something from this today and go out and and it'll help you with your kids or help you at work or, you know, just help you in your life as you try to be the Christian you should be out there. This kind of talk and discussion. Again, it doesn't sound too horrible when you just talk through it, but it is relaying another message, I think, underneath to everybody that like, eh. and that just gets to the point to where it's like the next generation's like, oh, the preaching's not that big deal. I mean, right. who cares? Well, well, and again, I want to go back to an example from the civil state, which applies to this. Um, Sometimes, like, for instance, when we come to presidential debates, there's debates where the presidential candidates, there will be people in the audience and they're just, they don't have a, they're not behind a podium. They're just walking around with a microphone talking to people. The feel of that is he's one of the people. He's interacting with the people. But whenever the pres, whenever he's elected president, I don't want him to declare war from an armchair and be on the video screen in his armchair saying, by the way, uh, we've declared war on our enemies he stands behind a podium with the presidential seal or he's sitting at the desk, mm-hmm. which are signifying his authority at those moments. Um, we would we would be uncomfortable with a president who just showed up in a turtleneck and was sitting in an easy chair and saying on TV, I just want to have a conversation with you real quick about the fact that we've declared war on, on this country. We want a guy who's giving us an authoritative message. So we see even that in those realms. And I think we see that impacts the message. The medium, to a large extent, shapes the message. Absolutely. And that's what you're getting at here is in a, in a church sense, the medium. And, and, and some people will say, well, well, that's not prescribed in the Bible. And then I would say, well, why did you change it then? Mm. Why did you get rid of the pulpit then? Well, they got rid of it for a reason. It wasn't, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's not indifferent anymore. It, they got rid of it for a reason. And, and that was for, so they could lessen the idea of authority and, and, and sobriety and seriousness to convey a sense of, uh, of, of a conversational element, a more comfortable tone. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that in the Christian life. I like having a cup of coffee with the next person, even if Tim doesn't, but, um, uh, but, I, that, that's that not because he doesn't like coffee or doesn't like people. <laughs> so I <was> <laughs> think it's both. <laughs> think it's both. Um, but uh, um, anyway, I just think that that's and, and an I important can, component. I can speak to that because when we were in Chicago and I was doing like church planting training, and this was through the North American Mission Board, there was this emphasis, especially being in the city, being in an urban context. You know, uh, the missional movement was was kind of roaring if you will or the emerging church and there was a sense of like okay if you're going to be missional here in the in the inner city of chicago which is you know all the statistics of how many people are lost and all that then you got to change some of your vernacular Mm -hmm. and so like the word talk was used instead of a sermon this is the time we're going to have a talk um the, the the idea of being apostolic we're all on this mission we're, we're we're being sent and and what happened was it it seemed like some of the emerging churches that i encountered were kind of like christian hippies <laughs> they, <laughs> they just kind of like like hey man like let's just do this together and there wasn't this sense of of authority and mm-hmm. i i remember and I, I i was in my 20s and in my early 30s but i i remember thinking like this seems a little odd mm-hmm. and i was reading all this stuff that they were you know, kind of given us as far as like missional and, you know, emerging church and organic church. That was another word they used. Mm. And uh, I saw that firsthand and I, and I, I kind of reacted Mm. in some ways, I think against that, because I think it's done a lot of damage, Mm -hmm. especially in the urban context of church planting. So Mm. 
Yeah. Now it's probably farm to field churches. Farm to field. We've gotten past the organic, <laughs> yeah. the gluten free church, gluten free church, <laughs> vegan churches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've gotten rid of the meat of the word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we have the soy, the soy of the word, the soy milk. Long for the pure soy milk of the word, <laughs> the vegan Bible. Well, I have to say that this is the worst one we've ever done. I haven't even got the point one yet of our message. We've just kind of went off on some other things. <laughs> no, that's but, good. Hey. We did not accomplish our task. It's, it's organic, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> kinda, That's a good point. Yeah, kind of flying off the. <clears throat> okay, this isn't fun. a church service or a sermon, right? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's okay. <laughs> We're just sitting around here having a conversation <laughs> with some coffee. I don't also. have coffee. I have tea this morning. I don't. Scott, oh, okay. did you make coffee today? I did make coffee today. Okay. Good at his house. At his house. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so let me do this real quick, just so I can say we did what we were supposed to do. Uh, <laughs> We worship God alone. You preach the sermon, See, right? He's sticking with the liturgy. He's not. He's yeah. not giving up he the order. the order. Wow. <laughs> I want to get to takes three uh, hours. Okay, we don't have to do that. <laughs> there was really only two things I wanted to discuss okay. in the sermon, and we haven't done any of it. That's oh, okay. fine. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Number one, I want to talk about that it should be Christ-centered. Mm. I just wanted you guys maybe to share because um, of what that means. I, I tried to explain that, but I think. Again, every church would say they're Christ-centered, probably. And how can we really see that in a service? How can we really uh, know, like when we go, maybe maybe we're looking for a new church or something, how can we know that they are Christ, Christ-centered? And I'm not saying you would even know that the first time you go. I mean, you might go to a really bad church, and the first time you're like, no, <laughs> okay, no, they're not Christ-centered. But maybe you do have to go a little bit. And so when you hear that, we're a Christ-centered church, and our worship, the worship, the corporate worship needs to be Christ-centered. Real quickly, what would you guys say that that looks like or means in the service? I would just say first, I mean, just one way to think through that is, is the gospel made clear in this service? And I don't even necessarily mean in the preaching, but even like one of the things you were talking about in the liturgy of our church one of the things you try to do is at the, in the call to worship, the scripture you read, you try to encounter the living God, like the, the the God of the universe, and see how small you are. And then our response to that is, have mercy on me, O God. Who am I compared to you? Uh, we have a, a prayer of confession and of, of repentance and of remembering the gospel. And so it's, it's the liturgy sh- should take you through the gospel, so to speak. And so that's... That's one way that I would think of making it Christ-centered is not necessarily every single sermon presents the gospel to you and offers sinners the opportunity to repent and put their faith in Christ, but it's just that it's made very clear the reason we're here is because we have been saved uh, from our sin and we've been raised to new life with Christ. Um, yeah, I, that's just one one way to think about it. Anything else? I think... Um, key thing too is when you say christ-centered um there are some churches that might use jesus primarily as an example and that is a danger uh to say jesus is our example we follow him that's not what you mean by christ-centered no we're talking about christ for us in our place dying rising our mediator our mediator our sacrifice our savior yeah and those themes, like words, if you're not hearing words or at least ideas that are pertaining to sin, justification, substitution, propitiation, now you may not hear those exact words, but you should definitely be hearing those ideas um, every week. And like one of the things that was, I mean, that was really good about, I mean, this past, you know, for instance, this sermon, right, this past week, right, we had um, scripture. We had the confession of sin. Dave picked out songs. I think every song was cross-centered. It was, yeah. And it was really good. And I think what that means is, um, is that in everything we do, everybody should leave. And overall, the shape of our services should be in the shape of a cross. Mm-hmm. Whenever people leave, they should they should get that one thing. Like Paul says in Corinthians, when I came among you, brothers. I did not proclaiming. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul is saying there is more that I could talk to you about, but if there's the only one thing I get to tell you about, and as and he's taught writing to believers, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Jesus Christ and we're going to talk about him crucified yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. So we may miss everything else, 
but we're not going to miss that. And I think that's one of the ways in which, and, and that's also though going to create a culture in your church. If you have people that are coming to church, um, realizing they're sinners and realizing that even as believers, we're frail and weak and we need God's mercy every day, that's going to produce humility and love and, and a spirit of freedom. But if you're coming and people are feeling, um, if people are leaving either despairing or they're leaving prideful, that could be a sign of a legalistic church mm-hmm. because the law either drives us to despair or it drives us to really big pride because we think we can do it at least for a little while. Mm-hmm. And so I think the gospel will then create a church culture that is uh, not perfect, but it's going to gradually uh, transform those who hear it. Mm-hmm. I mean, our worship needs to be Trinitarian, yeah. right? And I think you can notice that when you go to a service. Uh, who are we worshiping? We're worshiping God. We're worshiping God alone, Him alone. We are able to do that uh, through Jesus Christ, the Son, who's fully God and fully man. But that's that's why we get to approach God this morning in worship is because of the works of Christ that he's now done in our life as well, right, that he's given us. And we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we pray that the Spirit would work in our lives as we're here, right? And so as we sing songs, we do it again through Christ to the Father. Uh, and, and I think that that's a good way to see, is this a Christ-centered worship service? Is asking also, is it Trinitarian Mm-hmm. You know, um, are, are is it being done correctly in that way? Uh, is it is just I think a good thing to, mm-hmm. to look I at. I like that too. Yeah, yeah I good. think that's important. The other thing I, I wanted to get to um, was uh, the actual parts of the service because that's where we're headed, uh, and we'll we'll break some of these we'll break some of these down. Uh, but I read a, a decent section from the Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, sixteen eighty nine. Uh, it was paragraph twenty two. Or no, chapter 22, I'm sorry, paragraphs 1 through 5, where they talk about a worship service and what should be a part of a worship service. Uh, And it talks about prayer as part of a worship. There in paragraph 5, it said the reading of the scriptures, preaching, hearing of the word of God, teaching, admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, uh, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, also the administration of baptism, Lord's Supper, are all parts of religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to him with understanding, faith, reverence, godly fear, and then it said, moreover, solemn humiliation with fastings, thanksgivings upon special occasions ought to be used in holy and religious manner. Because the question is then practically, you know, what do we do? And what should we what should we do when we come here together? And so when you look historically, that our Baptist confession laid some things out. And I think it was uh Spencer, what was it? The the dialogue. Remember I showed you that website? Oh, the OPC? Yeah, the, orth- the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, otherwise known, uh, there's a joke they play, the only perfect church. Oh, really? That's what that's a joke, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Orthodox. Uh, sounds like something they'd say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but they're not alone in this, this idea of a dialogue in a worship service, mm-hmm. and that the parts of the service show the, show the dialogue. And so in looking at our, the Baptist Confession of Faith and what's part of the service there, you can, you can see that. The, these elements are a part of the service that our forefathers and our faith, the Baptist faith, they held to too in their, mm-hmm. in their worship service. And so you have a call to worship where we do that by reading a passage of Scripture to call us to worship. Uh, this is God speaking to us through his word. We have other public readings of the word. Again, God speaking to us. The preaching of the word is God speaking to us. Lord's Supper and Baptism, which we'll be looking at the next couple weeks. This is visually God speaking to us through some through these acts that he's given us to, to do mm-hmm. and be a part of and hold to. Uh, and then the benediction, the blessing, the closing. Usually it's a it's a prayer prayer. Uh, Asking God, you know, to be true to his promises, his steadfast love, to continue as we leave this place for boldness to watch over us, right? Which is, again, most of that is like, is is God speaking to us, we would say. Uh, How we respond then is through public prayer, which should be a part of a service, congregational singing, which needs Mm -hmm. to be a part of a service, public confession, where we, not just like... uh, which confession of sin is something we're called to do uh, even to each other, to confess sins one to another. And that's where they would pull this. is like 
the way to confess sins one to another is in congregational worship when you're together. But also, I think of that as confession of, we've confessed our sins, but our confession to our Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. Jesus, right? Where we're, This is why we're here together, uh, because of what he's done and who he is. But then also, we see scripturally a response of giving, of offerings uh, back to God. We see that as well in scripture. And so these are things that need to be a part of the service um, very pointedly. And again, there's ways that that can play out uh, in different, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But if you're going to be faithful, according to the Bible, these, these simple elements are what we do, right? We preach, we pray, we sing, we give, what am I missing? And Lord's Supper and baptism. We baptize. We baptize and we take of Lord's Supper. It's not too complicated, right? And and I think we have to be careful with that, of making it too complicated. And Dave, I think you could speak to this. Worship is way more complicated than it needs to be, isn't it? Because of computers, all the sound that's needed, everything. And that's the yeah. stuff that like you pull your hair out because yeah. it's, it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, really, when you step back and look at it, you're like, we don't really have to have this, yeah. But it's what everybody's getting mad at, mm. right? It's what everybody's frustrated about, yeah. and maybe we're frustrated because God never told us that we have to do all yeah. this. Stuff. It, and not only that, I mean, it, it <laughs> makes it more difficult on other churches, yeah, that have less. I mean, we've been very blessed here at at MNBC to have a lot of those things. But like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we prayed for during our missionary highlight was Outpost Community Church, one of our church partners who needs a, a worship leader right now. And I wonder, like, I'm not saying this is specifically on them, but like I've been in the place before of planting a church where we need a worship leader. And how much more difficult is that made trying to find that when the the form of worship and of singing that you're trying to uh, get to is made more complicated by expectations uh-huh. uh, that aren't necessarily necessities. Yeah, yeah and that's exactly. interesting how you say that, right? And you, you said it when we prayed. They need a worship leader. And it's like, no, they don't. They don't need it. <laughs> they need to sing, but they don't need a worship leader. I mean, if someone can just get up there and say, again, now, if well, you're just depends, talking about what do you planning. Mean by worship leader? And that's what <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know? And it's like, if they're trying to get a Grammy-nominated singer, okay, that's going to be pretty hard. Yeah. We don't have to have that, though. Yeah. It can be any anybody uh, helping us sing, because we need to, mm-hmm. we need to sing, and yeah. we're supposed to sing. And it could be as easy as, all right, guys, I'm going to start. Oh, victory! And then you just pull away from the mic, let them go, let, yeah, let them yeah. go with the song, yeah. whatever it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like right. Yeah. Um, but just that thought of like, we need this. Uh, I don't know if we do need mm-hmm. it to be faithful well, and that's, to honor God that's, this morning. That was my whole point. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah. what do you actually need? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a way that breaks that where this conversation I think breaks down even further that when I was thinking through it made it even made it really helpful and easier to think through which what you're talking about these things that you've listed that that you read off from uh, the confession of faith um, is like those can be described as elements what are the biblical elements the things that we are actually commanded to do to involve but those elements will take on various forms and so how long do you preach? That's a form yeah, mm-hmm. of the element. Yeah. Do you read scripture at the beginning of the service, right before the sermon, at the very end of that? That's a form, but you're talking about the thing that we've been commanded to do. Do you sing three songs or four songs? That's a form, but you're still talking about the element. But then there's the small things that are circumstances. Mm-hmm. How many pews do you have? Right. Does it, how big is your church? Yeah, it's a circumstance. Right. It doesn't yeah. change. Um, you know, do we have? Do we need speakers? Well, is your church big enough to where people won't be able to hear if they don't have that? So thinking about it in terms of there's the elements; these mm-hmm. are the non-negotiables. There's the forms; that's how we do the non-negotiables. And then there's circumstances, things that are going to change for from day to day, even of how you do things. Sure, I just think yeah. it's helpful to break it down mm-hmm. and think like that because it helps you have. The conversation, are we talking about an element here? Are we talking about a form? Are we talking about a circumstance? Mm-hmm. I just think it's a really helpful way to break it down. Yeah, I think all we really need to be faithful is the Word of God at a service, right? You can read it. 
You can sing it. That's what the Psalms are. You could sing a Psalm. You could have it preached to you. And you've had a faithful service, and then you pray, right? I don't need all these other things. Yeah, like you said, circumstances matter, absolutely. Like in our church, we have to have sound and all that. You just yeah. can't hear. You yeah. couldn't hear in certain points. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we have. We have to deal with that mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Um, but if I'm meeting under a tree at somebody's house because that's the only place we have, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be different. Yeah, and, but we, I don't need everything. I just need the Word of God, and we can actually have a very faithful service right here as a church family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we've talked about, uh, it's been mentioned before, that uh, Pastor Peter, yeah. like their church started meeting under a tree. Their church service under the tree can have all of the same elements that our church service has. Yeah, The forms are going to be different, and there's different circumstances, mm-hmm. but yeah. all the elements are there. Yeah, the only additional thing would be water sometimes for baptism, yep. and then Lord's Supper, yep. right? I need bread. And I need wine, I need juice, I need something like that to represent yep. the blood. And those would be the things we're like, i got to scrape to find these things because yeah. we need to do it. But that's it, you know? Yeah. And we can be faithful. When we were in Russia, we worked with a church. It was in the evening, and we did a service, and there was no electricity, no heat. It was cold. It was November. Oh. And we had candlelight, and I, I led song. I mm. led singing on my acoustic guitar without any music. <laughs> and it was in Russian and English. And it was like just amazing. It was just simple. Mm. And it was just like being together and just these Russian believers and they were from Uzbekistan and Pakistan or whatever mm. and just all worshiping together. And it was no, nothing, nothing, no pizzazz. Right. <laughs> just simple, stripped down, pure. Mm. And faithful. And faithful. That's the word. Yeah. And that's a big word for me. Yeah, I think me I, too. And, and in my life and in my ministry, I, I yeah. want to be, yep. I want to be faithful yep. in things and, uh, uh, I think our church does too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're going to continue on in this series. Uh, this coming week, we have Lord's Supper together. And so we'll be observing Lord's Supper together. And that's what the sermon focus will be, is Lord's Supper. Uh, what is it? You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what other questions we're going to ask in there. You know, how often do we do it? All these different things, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but what's happening in Lord's Supper? Uh, so I hope you'll be here if you, because we don't get the opportunity, I guess, to uh, preach on Lord's Supper a, a ton. Uh, and so I'm thankful that we get to do that. And then the next week will probably be will be baptism as we look at the ordinances and give a, a week to each of those because I think they're important and they need to be discussed and, and talked about. And then we'll get into some of these other things of like the public reading of the word. Where do we see that in scripture? What is God doing in the midst of that? Preaching, uh, singing. That's probably a big one that people are wondering about. You know, what does the Bible say about singing? Uh, and what are we to be, to be doing uh, with that? Uh, and then... And then prayer. So I don't know. We might combine some of those at times. I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, but then the very last message will be actually Pastor Scott will be preaching the last message in this series on how worship drives our mission. Right? Is that how it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worship drives our our mission and what we do. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to be here this coming Sunday again, Lord willing. Uh, but until then, hopefully you have a, a blessed week. God bless.